Our mission is really to elevate our perspective, perceive the big picture, and then identify kingdom practices and cultures. The church itself, that's the body of Christ. That's right. the people in the church. You're not a chicken in a chicken coop. You're an eagle meant to fly. The church isn't a building. The church are the people. The kingdom of God doesn't exist there. The kingdom of God exists by faith, seeing what's going on in a supernatural way. The Bible says, what will it gain you to gain the whole world but to lose your soul? Welcome back to the Uprising podcast, where we will elevate our perspective, perceive the big picture, and identify kingdom cultures and practices. I'm Alex Hedrick. I'm Brian Burkholder. And we're so excited to be with you today. Well, we're going to start with what we always do, which is our What's Up section, where we talk about what's up in Christian news and how to see it from a higher perspective. And so uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about something that's pretty current in the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, and it is that uh, if you've been following it at all, um, the SBC has been in a, in a continual investigation about some sexual abuse allegations and how widely it has not been handled well. And so most recently, they just actually came to a pretty monumental decision, which is that their, their board voted that they could waive attorney and uh, attorney client privilege in order to give the full information of the victims and the abuse allegations over to investigation. Now, this is something that really hasn't happened. And actually, it was highly debated. I was watching the debates, actually. Now, I'm not part of the SBC, but this stuff interests me. Um, I was watching them debate it about whether, because they didn't have to, just because it was voted on doesn't mean that the SBC has to, but they did vote, they did go ahead and um, decide to honor the vote and to waive attorney and client privilege. It's a huge deal. Not even the Catholic Church did this when they were going through their investigations. Mm. And um, it, it, it it's kind of controversial because it's both, uh, it's both beneficial to the victims in that Thankfully, everything that's been going on in their case can come out, but it's also not beneficial to the victims because literally everything that they've said could come out as well. And it may be things that they don't want to come out or maybe they wanted to be private or anonymous about. So it's kind of a catch 22, but it is a monumental decision of a very large organization, especially that makes up most of the um, it's like more than 50 percent of the American Evangelical Church uh, is in the Southern Baptist Convention. So, Brian, what are your thoughts on that? Well, it is pretty. It is pretty uh, big deal. Um, the interesting thing uh, we talked last time about church governance. The interesting thing uh, that I find fascinating is that the SPC isn't um, a traditional hierarchy. Each individual church uh, has their own autonomy in the structure and the governance of the SPC, and are, that's why they call it a convention, not a denomination, because right. they choose to be part of the convention. However, over time, the convention has developed a very denominational kind of hard line feel to it, um, where, uh, where, you know, much like a chicken coop, if you leave the chicken coop, you lose all your relationship, all your influence. So pastors, uh, I, I personally know several pastors who are struggling with being part of the SBC in their conscience, but don't know what else to do? Cause they, they grew up in it. Like they, this is all right. they've ever known. Um, sure. so, so with that context, uh, it's, it's just interesting to me that, uh, 
we talk a lot about um, the uh, chicken coop mindset and really, yeah, there's probably structures and governances that are healthier than others, but this chicken coop mindset, this, this uh, top down mindset can develop in any kind of uh, over time in any kind of structure. It's really up to the individual person to maintain their authority and their uh, personal identity in Jesus Christ. Otherwise it, it reverts eventually back into that last wall of the chicken coop, the four F words. And the last one is fascism. So you can, and that's, that's the opposite of personal identity and autonomy and authority. So it's, it behooves uh, these pastors and, and whoever is in the structure. And that's really why, why things like this happen is because people have submitted what they know God's calling them to do in this case with sexual abuse and, They've submitted to this hierarchy, this structure, this these authorities, um, in order to protect the institution rather than take care of and uh, have justice for the individual. And so um, we we say that a lot on the on the podcast, but that's really our that's really one of our heartbeats is that every individual person can fly and soar like an eagle. So there's consequences when we give that right up. Uh, as individuals. So uh, anyway, it, uh, I digress a little bit, but it's just a very, very interesting thing to me that um, uh, you'd, you'd think that the structure of the church would protect it, but it doesn't because, uh, because every individual, even with these, these cases, every individual made a choice, um, wh- whatever choice they made, and that those choices had major consequences. So uh, you were just talking about how, how you've seen this. Um, you were reminded of this uh, with your personal life a little bit, Alex. Yeah, yeah. So, well, I was just telling Brian, it was it's just so on my mind right now because my husband and I are recertifying ourselves for foster adoptive status uh, because we moved. So we had to recertify because we're in a different county uh, in Texas. And so um, anyway, we we were doing this and we had to recertify in um, abuse training. And they they tell you, very directly. So there was this huge um, test that you have to take and it gives you all these examples. But one of the examples was that a, a woman who's her school counselor decides that she's seeing abuse in a, in somebody's life and she wants to report it. But the school board and the school itself has decided that per, that they're going to internally take care of those kinds mm-hmm. of things. And that if it needs to be reported, that's if, then the principal will do so. So she's calling and saying, herself individually, I want to report this, but I could get in trouble. Can I do it anonymously? And um, the test was about, you know, the privacy because you can't actually report it anonymously. Your name is never given to any, either the abuse victim or the people that it it endangers. Um, And so, but it was interesting because it was so much like the church. It was just on my mind because, you know, even I have witnessed and, and been privy to those kinds mm-hmm. of accusations where you're navigating the, you know, that your church or your organization or your denominational structure has different rules and they are trying to handle it internally and you are trying to be submitted to that. And yet, you know, that, you know, that, you know, that it should be being handled differently. And so it's that tension mm-hmm. that I think a lot of people are personally walking, you know, and you, and you are struck with this choice of either your individual conviction or towing the company line to quote you, Brian, 
Um, and that is a difficult place to be within the church or any place, but specifically within the church. And so, um, I think, I think that is an interesting thing because if everyone in the SBC, like, let's just say that there was abuse, if every person in the SBC had actually done their individual conviction, which would have been to report to walk alongside somebody in that, instead of trying to bury it or let the church handle it their own way, then we probably wouldn't be sitting here and talking about it because if every individual had made that decision, you know what I mean? So it's just, it's a... It's it's a very interesting dichotomy because on one hand we're we're about to start talking about you know church and state being separate. On the other hand, the church has separated from the state and done their own thing in ways they shouldn't. Like to me, a pastor should never be investigating sexual abuse. Like that is not their job. Even even if you're not mm. a pastor, but you have an you know you have a di- director position or whatever, you're not qualified. And and furthermore, you can't do anything about it, even if it's proven guilty. Does that make sense? Right. And right. so and so those victims never get the support or even the convictions that they need. And the people who perpetrate never get the accountability. So, I, you know, it's it's kind of a catch 22 and we're going to dive into it a little bit. But that's that's kind of what I'm seeing before we move on. Do you have any any thoughts on that? Um, I would just um, say that. This this idea of towing the company line, there's a lot of little I, I personally believe in in an individual in leadership or even in the church, there's a lot of little uh like moments of uh you know, we used to call it searing your conscience in the church I grew up with. Like there's a lot of little moments where you go, you know, I just need to do what the church authorities say, I need to go along with this. Because you don't get to you don't get to uh, the point where you're covering up like sexual abuse, you just don't jump there, right? So this right. is a this exactly. is a an issue of well, I, I know we probably shouldn't have treated that that person that way, but this is what the pastor wanted to do, so I'm just not going to say anything because uh, that's what the pastor wanted to do. So I know that person got treated really really poorly um, uh, in this situation, but we got to tow the company line. Right. So mm. it, it, it doesn't it doesn't start with like covering up sexual abuse, like it doesn't just magically get there uh, over time in the culture of the institutionalized church. You get little decisions over time by individuals in that organization to give up their personal autonomy and authority to hear God and to and to walk with God themselves and to say, no, brother, I understand that you're in leadership and I want to honor your leadership, but you're still my brother in Christ. You're not my father. You're not my dad. I have a heavenly father. He's it. And you're my brother in Christ. That's how we relate first and foremost. So there's a lot of little decisions to give up that personal autonomy before you get to the big stuff. That's the last thing I'll say. Um, let's move to our rise up. We talked a lot about, uh, the what's up today. So let's get into the rise up and talk about separation of church and state. This is something that we have just uncovered as we're getting ready to launch some, uh, uh, micro churches and just excited about what God's up to with that. But, uh, in, even in the process, some things came to light with how the government interacts with churches. And we, we just had all these light bulbs go off like, oh, that's why 
that's why all these churches responded the way they did during uh, the pandemic. And that's why this happened. Oh my goodness. It makes so much, it's so makes so much more sense now. Um, so Alex, I'll pitch it to you. I'll set it up and then pitch it to you uh, uh, to talk a little bit about uh, separation of uh, what did we uncover and, um, and how the church and the state are not as separate as you might think they are. Yeah. Well, so I'm going to take a little, uh, a, a little divergence over to church history for a quick moment to talk about you know, why we even have church and state separation of church and state. You know, I, you know, you grow up, you know, and even in, I, I remember learning about it in like fourth and fifth grade, you learn that there's a separation of church and state within the United States. And that that's for a reason is because most of the early settlers of the United States were what we would think now as religious refugees. They were coming mm -hmm. from theocracies. They were coming from places where the church and state were so in bed together that they were being persecuted for their dissenting views. And so they came other places to find refuge. And so the goal of separation of church and state was that that would never happen again, that there wouldn't be such an intermingling of church and state that people were being persecuted and that dissenting views uh, were being, uh, that people with dissenting views would have to leave. And so that that is the history behind it. Just a short um you know, for our international listeners, even and and so it's ingrained in us. I think it's even it's just whenever I think about, um, you know, church and state, uh, you know, policies. I think I mean I'm I'm like right back in fourth grade learning about American history. So, um, right. yeah. But so so when we went on this discovery, we were looking at you know what is another way to set this up. Because um, we didn't know whether we wanted to be a 501c3 or a 508, um, which are both meaningless numbers to you, but we'll explain them. And so we just started on this journey. And, and what I found was so interesting and explained so much, like Brian said, about what why churches act the way that they act, which is, you know, a 501c3 basically is a nonprofit status. It's what most churches are and what some charitable organizations are. And what it does is it gives you the ability to intake um, uh, donations and not be taxed on them because it's not actually income, it's donations. And and therefore, even when you're paying your staff, you're not paying out of profit, you're paying out of what would be considered donations and livable wages. So um, all that to say, the 501c3 kind of ties you to the government, though, because if you accept that 501c3 status, then there are certain things that you have to be okay with the government having their hand in because they are giving you a tax break, basically. It's kind of like you've struck a deal um, and yep. you are, you know, you're getting something, but they're getting something in in return. Uh, we're getting the tax break and the ability to be exempt from those things. But then you're, you know, as as the entity, as the nonprofit, you're uh, giving them the ability to audit you whenever they want. So, you mm -hmm. know, um, and that part I know about because I worked on the side that would get audited <laughs> all the time. Right. And, and so they can audit you whenever they want to without question, without reason. And they will state that it is because they want to make sure you're not embezzling funds. So they want to make sure you're not making up people to donate to or getting donations from that do not exist. And which is very reasonable. You. I would say that's a very, right. that's a very reasonable thing. 
Yes, which is very reasonable. Yeah. Again, you're making that utilitarian, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine um, way of doing things. So, so it seems very justified. But it also means that you have to comply with a lot of organizational laws like you know you know uh if there are any state mandates you know uh, one one big thing in question right now is the state mandate for a vaccine and and i mean federal mandate for a vaccine and, and will you have to comply well the answer might be yes if you're in a 501c3 um and and so it versus some other things i just know i've found that it intertwined the church and state and it mm -hmm. also makes you liable for anything that you say that could be against something that could revoke your status so like for yeah. example uh you could say a dissenting opinion about the covid vaccines and the and the president and you could theoretically be prosecuted persecuted not prosecuted persecuted for it you could lose your 501c3 status and much much more and you know then have to pay taxes you could be fined um and so uh brian talk a little bit more about it but i found that it has it it, it really has started to intertwine that church and state together um and i'm not calling us a fascist government so please don't hear that but it's it's mildly concerning and reminiscent of where china currently sits because most of us as christians think that china oh in china everything's just outlawed there's no christianity right. and that's actually not right. true i mean i know that's how we think of it because we all know about the underground churches but that's actually not true What's true is that they have a state church that is much like us. It's entangled in the government. It's got nonprofit status, all the things. And then you've got the underground, but the, the state church is directed by the state. It has to bow to the state's requests, or in this case, to the communist government's requests. And, right. uh, and so it, when, when you say church, I mean, it does allow Christianity. It certainly does not allow for free will and autonomy within that Christianity, which some of us would then argue isn't Christianity. Right. And so you get these underground churches that are the opposite. They don't have an organizational structure. They don't have a nonprofit status. They are just uh, house churches that have exploded and have relational connection to each other. Right, so anyway, right. um, and, and, you know, so when we start researching this, it, my thought and my concern is how far down that rabbit trail do we go, depending on who's governing us, for how intermixed those are. So Brian, talk a little bit more about it. So yeah, um, uh, this is our this is our little bit of a delve into politics, but it is relevant to this idea of of flying like eagles individually and personally yeah. with God and getting out of the chicken coop. Um, whatever the chicken coop uh, mindset looks like, feels like, but um, it's not necessarily even about like fleeing the United States or getting fearful. Like, don't get, we're not trying to spread fear or, you know, what we're, what Where we're saying we is go? we're just right. Yeah. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, let's get our, let's get our perspective. Uh, yeah. that all we're asking is that you see the big picture, uh, perceive the big picture, get your perspective higher and identify kingdom culture and practices. And, um, the kingdom looks like free will to give not forced giving. It looks mm. like, uh, it, it doesn't look like um, having to uh, bow to the government in order to have uh, tax exempt status 
so that we can function financially. Because well, if, if the, your tax exempt status goes away and you have to have it to function financially, uh, then is your dependence on the government of the United States or is it on God? And I think that distinction is coming. Uh, my, my profit guy is coming out a little bit. Going, it's got, it's, Go it's a it. little black or white. Like it's a little black or white. Is there a dependence on God or is it on the government of the United States? Is what we call a church dependent on what God says it is, or is it dependent on having a 501c3 sanctioned by the United States government, the IRS of the United States government? Interesting fact, as we were, just, as we were looking at this, there's another, uh, um, designation called a 508 that was uh, passed in uh, 1969 that actually clearly stated churches and religious institutions do not have to be a 501c3 in order to have uh, donations count as uh, non-tax, uh, as tax exempt. So, but there's a ton, if you look at the IRS and even like mainline, um, uh, denominations about being a 501 versus 500, there's a ton of fear about being a 508 uh, because it uh, it doesn't have the official stamp of the IRS because the IRS doesn't want you to be 508. They want you to be a 501 so they can control what you say. They can control right. what your money looks like. They can come in and audit you whenever they want to. And they can't do that with a 508 because a 508 was specifically designed to come under uh, the Constitution that said separation of church and state. The state cannot yes. dictate what a church does with their money. So um, <laughs> uh, it, I, I had no idea this thing existed. And I was like, wait, uh, we don't have to about even our own government in the past has said, you don't have to do that to have a, a church that comes under uh, the legal authority of the United States government as a church. You don't have to be a 501c3 and follow all those rules. So there's a right. lot more to it. But the interesting thing that I'll, that I'll the last thing I'll say on, on that specific piece is in the IRS. So we've, I've got a, a, a wonderful, awesome gal, part of our house church who does, um, um, uh, for work, she does government compliance and uh, auditing, like internal financial auditing for her company for government compliance. And what she said was the IRS calls 501c3s state churches and they call 508s free churches. So even in the IRS lingo, you have state churches and free churches. And it's just an interesting Thing. This isn't about 501, whether we should be a 501, and we're not calling out churches who are. There's awesome churches doing mighty work of God who are 501s. Okay, so, and this isn't saying everybody in the, everybody who's a church has to be a 508. It's just interesting when you see that perspective, oh, um, uh, maybe we've allowed the chicken coop of Egypt, of Babylon, it, we've let that into the church and maybe some of the bad stuff we're seeing in the church is because we've let that spirit of Babylon, that spirit of Egypt back into the covenant people uh, by by doing the part, I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine partnership with the IRS. Just just some Ooh. thoughts. No, that's good. Well, that's good. And and just to clarify, um, it it's even on the IRS's own website is that once you contract with the IRS, as a 501c3, you waive your rights as an FBO uh, to argue First Amendment free speech rights. Now, that has lots of wow. implications, but you are you are essentially waiving your rights now. That doesn't mean that they'll enforce it or that they even have enough staff to enforce right. it. But but it does it does put that out there. So just just confirmation on the, some of the things you're saying. Um, 
And I, and I think, you know, the, the thing that you and I were talking about too, is that a 508 puts the pressure or maybe the onus of responsibility on the giver. So now the, the thing that draws fear to people is that if you're a 508 and you give charitable donations and you're giving to like, say a church, well, now if the church is a 508, the onus is on you to figure out if that church is really a church and uh, the government can come after you if you file those as, you know, if you give above a certain amount, I think it's 10 grand. If you give, a, if you give above a certain amount, you can kind of claim it as a tax write-off, but they can come after you to audit you for that write-off if they don't believe that the organization you gave to is really a thing. So that right. is, that is the fear. Again, it's that fear, um, to bring it back to Eagle Living versus Chicken Coop, in a Chicken Coop, you're giving up freedom for the security and safety of the coop. And when you're yeah. an Eagle, you're saying that you're, you're free, but again, you're giving something up too because you're giving up that false security. It feels really safe, um, right? But but there but you know, in looking at even just practically for all of those people out there that that need the, the practical, you know, I've looked at court cases and there's never been a successful court case. Um, there's only been one court case out there where the IRS, you know, where the government came after somebody, uh, and it really was fraud. So and, yeah, and yeah. He, he it, really it, was defrauding the government. Yeah, he really real. was. Yeah. And, yeah. For real. But it was so easy to prove and it, it, that he was, and it would be so much harder to prove, uh, diff- you know, defraudment of a church if somebody were giving. Plus, again, it's that um, I scratch your back, my scratch mine, because it only comes into play if you write off your charitable giving, which right. is a question about whether you should or not. Because are are you giving to an organization or are you going to give to people? And that's a whole other podcast that Brian and I could yes. do about uh, finances <laughs> in the church and, and how that's funneled out to people. But it's just really interesting to see that fear of man on the other side, like, oh, man, now I'm accountable for my charitable giving, right? Instead of the entity being, you're you're giving up that security again. Somebody else was doing it for me, right? Yeah. Somebody else is being responsible, now I have to. And it's not necessarily the the financial control isn't, uh, but we'll go down the the avenue of that that wall, that F word of the chicken coop. Uh, it's, it is financial control because when you say I'm going to give my right and authority to hear Holy spirit on where this money needs to go. Um, and sometimes it does need to go to the, sometimes it does need to go to the storehouse. We're not saying the storehouse shouldn't exist as a thing, right? That, um, we shouldn't, we shouldn't ever pool our giving together to do bigger things for the kingdom. We're not saying that at all, but what we are saying is that when that is the primary uh, means that we've been taught is the primary means of giving, we actually relinquish our personal autonomy and our, our authority over this and stewardship of the resources God has given us. Because right. if, if the only way I'm going to give is if I get a kickback from the government and get, then I've, I've just now said, I, I'm going to serve the state instead of serving Jesus. Whatever the state says is okay. So I will serve that and give to that, but I don't necessarily. So, and I know that's hard. That's a hard statement, but I'm not saying that when you give to your church, you're not giving to Jesus. 
what I am saying is that it's created this sense that if I give to an institution, I'm giving to Jesus. And we talk about it almost every podcast. The church is not Jesus. Jesus is uh, intimate and personal with you. He says, abide in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. He didn't say abide in the church and let the church abide in you and you'll bear much fruit. This is a very personal and intimate uh, conversation with God himself and finances is part of that. So um, I've digressed a little bit. No, but, it's okay. Uh, come, come back to the, come back to the big picture. Um, I would, I would just ask us to think, where are we, where are we partnering with that, that, um, really that spirit of the antichrist, because it's not necessarily oh six, six, six on this. And, uh, you know, it's never, it's not going to be in your face, believer in Christ, the, there's going to be tons of us who are duped, uh, in the following the world system as it progresses. And as we see it, as we see it happening, um, even back in the first century, uh, there are, the Bible says there are many antichrists. The spirit of antichrist is already in the world. So, um, it's incumbent upon each of us to have personal relationship with Jesus, that personal relationship with God and, and, uh, and know, okay, I don't have to give to a 501 C three for it to count. If that makes sense. Right. Yeah. That's no, that's good, Brian. And I would, I would just say one final comment on it is that, you know, I think sometimes when we, um, when we give to a big church thing in a big storehouse for, to pool our resources, we assume that they're taking care of many people. But if you listen to our prior podcast about hierarchy and you realize that things often get stuck within the hierarchy, it is actually the same with money. So just having been on the side of benevolent giving of money, um, thing, you know, things often get stuck in, in bu- bureaucratic processes in middle yeah. management. And so things don't trickle down as much as we think that they do. And so I think that's worth saying as we talk about hierarchy and structure and church and state, because church and state has a hierarchy and structure that's similar that oftentimes yeah. I think, I think we feel like, oh, they must be taking care of so many people. But when they have so many people, when you really have so many people, there's so much bureaucratic red tape that goes into a system that then makes it pretty, pretty rare uh, to be taking care of the true need. Um, because the right. true need only comes through the individual, not not the crowd. You know, um, the, yeah. the crowd is pretty unreliable. The individual <laughs> yeah. is the person who needs help. And so, you know, that's, I think that's just worth saying as, as we, as we end our time, Brian, do you have any final thoughts before uh, we move on? Yeah. Uh, when you give led by the Holy spirit and not by getting a tax kickback, um, you can, you can truly give and you can, whether the person deserves it, whether they're going to go use it for booze and prostitutes or whether they're going to actually use it to turn their life around. It does not matter because you know that you're giving from out of the overflow of what God's given you. And then you're giving, uh, of in love, it's a gift. It's an offering and whether they use it well, or they don't use it well, it's, there's no strings attached to the gift. Here it is. The, the gift is there because the love of God flows through me. So, uh, so good. Uh, we, 
we just have an opportunity in these times to relook at, wait, have I actually been giving or uh, am I, am I caught up in a system, the, uh, the state system? Am I, ca- am I caught up in the spirit realm or am I caught up in the state system? And the finance is a really easy way to kind of look at it, but there, there's all kinds of other ways to look at it, but we yeah. went the financial route tonight uh, and today. So um, that's, that's really it is uh, let's, let's get uh, really in tune with what God's doing and align our giving with where uh, where the move of God is, whether it's the homeless guy uh, under the bridge or whether it's our, our local storehouse. Either way, it counts. Wow. That's so, so good and so, so true. Well, we've enjoyed talking with you and we just want to share a little bit about what's coming up. So coming up, we've got We've got some good interviews with with some people like Tim Whitaker from the New Evangelicals. We've got uh, some people from a favorite book that that I've read recently. And so we're just so excited to bring some guests on. And so, as always, we just want to remind you uh, that we exist to elevate our perspective, perceive the big picture and identify kingdom cultures and practices, which means that we'll be talking with people we may or may not agree with, but what we'll have great conversations and we'll look at it from the bigger picture. So we have just so enjoyed being with you. We'll see you next time. See you next time. As always, we want to invite you to join the conversation on Facebook, Insta, or Twitter. Go ahead and leave a review anywhere you're listening as well. Subscribe at patreon.com for extra content and more of the conversation. So if you're interested in learning a different way to do church as family and not institution, join us. We'll be launching the Uprising Microchurch movement this fall. There's a Facebook group to learn more and we'll link to it in the show notes. Also, if you're a decision maker of any kind, even if for your family, we offer consulting, coaching, and counseling through Unveiled United. Be on the lookout for more information for our upcoming book, Uprising, breaking free from the chicken coop church.